Well, <laughs> thou wilt be horribly chid tomorrow when thou comest to thy father. Ah, if thou love me, practice an answer. Do thou stand for my father and examine me upon <gasps> the particulars of my life? Shall I? <laughs> oh, content. This chair shall be my state, this dagger my scepter, this Cushion my crown. Thy state is taken for a joint stool, thy golden scepter for a leaden dagger, and thy precious rich crown for a pitiful bald crown. Oh, well, and a fire of grace be not quite out of thee. Now shalt thou be moved. Oh, give me a cup of sack to, to make my eyes look red, that it may be thought I have wept. For I must speak in passion, and I will do it in King Cambyses' vein. Well, here is my leg. And here is my speech. <laughs> Stand aside, nobility. Oh, oh yes, this is excellent sport. Uh, and here is my speech. <laughs> Stand aside, nobility! Oh, 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 the father, how he holds his countenance! For God's sake, lords, convey my tristful queen, for tears do stop the floodgates of her eyes. Like one of those those harlotry players as ever I see. Oh, peace, good pipe pot. Peace, good tickle brain. Harry, I do not only marvel where thou spendest thy time, but how thou art accompanied. For though the chamomile, the more it is trodden on, the faster it grows. So you, the more it is wasted, the sooner it wears. <laughs> that thou art my son, I have partly thy mother's word, partly my own opinion, but chiefly a villainous trick of thine eye and a foolish hanging of thy nether lip that doth warrant me. Well. If then thou be sudden to me, here lies the point. Why, being sudden to me, are thou so pointed at? Shall the blessed son of heaven prove a meacher and eat blackberries? <laughs> or question not to be asked. Shall the son of England prove a thief and take purses? A question to be asked. There is a thing, Harry, which thou hast often heard of, and it is known to many in our land by the name of pitch. This pitch, as ancient writers do report, doth defile. So doth the company thou keepest for Harry. Now I do not speak to thee in drink, but in tears, not in pleasure, but in passion, not in words only, but in woes also. <gasps> and yet, and yet, there is a virtuous man whom I have often noted in thy company, but I, I know <laughs> not his name. A what manner of man and it like, your majesty? Oh, a good, portly man in faith, <laughs> and a corpulent of a cheerful look and a pleasing eye, and a most noble carriage, and as I think his age, some fifty, or by a lady inclining to threescore. And now I remember his name is Falstaff. If that man should be lewdly given, he deceiveth me for Harry. I see virtue in his looks. If then the tree may be known by the fruit as the fruit by the tree, then peremptorily I speak it. There is virtue in that Falstaff. Him keep with. The rest banish. And tell me now, thou naughty varlet, tell me, where <laughs> hast thou been this month? 
Dost thou speak like king? Do thou stand for me and I'll play my father. <laughs> Depose me. If thou does it half so gravely, so majestically, both in word and manner, hang me up by the heels for a rabbit sucker, for a poulter's hair. Well, here I am set. And here I stand. Judge, my masters. Now, Harry, whence come you? My low noble lord, from East Cheap. The complaints I hear of thee are grievous. Blood, my lord, they are false. Nay, <laughs> I'll tickle you for a young prince in faith. Swearest thou, ungracious boy? Oh. Henceforth ne'er look on me. Thou art violently carried away from grace. There is a devil haunts thee in the likeness of an old, fat man. A ton of men is thy companion. Why dost thou converse with that trunk of humors, that bolting hutch of beastliness, that swollen parcel of dropsies, that huge bombard of sack, that stuffed cloak bag of guts, that roasted manning tree ox with pudding in his belly, that reverend vice, that gray iniquity, that father ruffian, that vanity in years. Wherein is he good but to taste sack and drink it? Wherein neat and cleanly but to carve a capon and eat it? Wherein cunning but in craft? Wherein crafty but in villain? Wherein villainous but in all things? Wherein worthy but in nothing? I would your grace would take me with you. Whom means your grace? That villainous, abominable misleader of youth, Falstaff, that old white-bearded Satan. My lord, the man I know. Oh, I know thou dost. But to say I know more harm in him than in myself were to say more than I know. That he is old, the more pity his white hairs do witness it. But that he is saving your reverence, a whoremaster, that I deny utterly. If sack and sugar be a fault, God help the wicked. If to be old and marry be a sin, then many an old host I know is damned. If to be fat, be to be hated, then Pharaoh's lean kine are to be loved. No, my good lord. Banish Peto, banish Barnolf, banish points. But for sweet Jack Falstaff, kind Jack Falstaff, true Jack Falstaff, valiant Jack Falstaff, and therefore more valiant being as he is, old Jack Falstaff, banish him not thy Harry's company. <laughs> Banish him not, thy Harry's company. Banish plump Jack and banish all the world. <laughs> I do and I will. Hello, listeners. You're tuning into the Bardcast Weekly with Will Kemp's players. You just heard Act 2, Scene 4 from Henry the Fourth. Part 1, with Michael Sincora as Prince Hal and Sandra Boynton as Falstaff. Later in this episode, you'll also be hearing Act 1, Scene 3 from Richard III, with Shane Suspenkowski as Richard and Sandra Boynton as Queen Margaret. Your hosts, as always, are myself, Rob Johnson, Phil Beatty. Hello. And Shay Fitzgerald. What's up? Shane Suspenkowski is with us this week in conversation. It's good to be back. And our spotlight artist is our dear artistic director, Sandra Boynton. Hello. Nice to have the lights on. <laughs> Each week, we'll bring you some excerpts of Shakespeare scenes, followed by a lively discussion with some of our players on dramatic themes, relevance of work, and how we take stuff to performance as an original practices worker-owned cooperative. Sandy, since you're our special guest Ooh. today, why don't you tell us a little bit about your beginnings in the Shakespeare performance and how you came to Original Practices? Well, it's a long story. Y'all, y'all, go get a beer. 
settle back. Seatbelts buckle. Because it's a long story. It's a long <laughs> story. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we're, from you, we're not going to get what we've gotten from mostly everyone else, which is, well, I met Sandy Boynton at Schenectady County Community College. <laughs> that's how my intro went. No, that's, well, I guess this is, the, this is the prequel then to all of their stories. Exactly, this is, yeah, for well, sure. Then, in 1957, after I had seen Ooh. my first Broadway Way play back. and was the only person I knew of in my elementary school who'd ever had one, and in my pretentiousness, because I was, I realized that at 10, I had not yet read a Shakespeare play. I was devastated that I, I was, that I was pretentious yet. enough to <laughs> think I was bright and had not yet ventured into Shakespeare. My mother tolerated oh, how me. How could you? I don't know how she did it. I really don't know. But she <laughs> pointed me toward A Midsummer Night's Dream and said, oh, good choice. because my mother, my mother was both a musician and an actor. Um, who had herself been on Broadway, um, you have to read this out loud. And the poor woman lent yep. me her beautiful red leather bound copy of the complete works and told me not to damage it. And you all know that I did. But I, <laughs> so I spent the summer, whenever I would take a bath, propping the book up on the faucet handles and reading Shakespeare, or reading A Midsummer Night's Dream aloud. Living on the edge. Now, I, I don't know how Bard in the tub stood me, but that is honestly true. That's what I did. And I was such, I, I was kind of embarrassed that my mother would start me out with fairies because I was too old to believe in fairies and I wanted something of <laughs> substance. Pretentious. I was pretentious as hell. <laughs> That's so um, it's, funny. It's, Sandy's like, give me some time in of Athens. Yeah, That's I, I, I yeah. Titus Andronicus, the best place <laughs> to be, to tub or not to tub. <laughs> to scrub or not to scrub. Or not scrub. to scrub. Okay, so you have some idea what was going on in, in undergraduate school. I, I, I had a great Shakespeare scholar, Stanley Holberg, taught us a class. He and I used to fight endlessly, about, endlessly until he actually apologized about what was on the page <laughs> and what could be done on the stage. Um, it all I have no idea what it's like to to argue with your mentor. None, <laughs> none, 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 none whatsoever. whatsoever. Never heard of it. I, um, I managed, uh, the, one of the odd pieces is that I only knew him as a scholar of the Greek classics, but my graduate advisor also was a, a scholar of Shakespeare's staging, and I didn't really realize it at the time. Only after his death did I find his his books and papers, and his, his wife let me read them. And we were so much on the same page, it's almost eerie. Okay, so I wind up teaching um, college, English, college theater. And now and again, I try to do a Shakespeare more or less true to what I thought Shakespeare ought to be. Um, and tried to make it accessible, and I was wildly unsuccessful, wildly. And then I stumbled back in the late 90s, 1990s, not 1890s. Um, <laughs> you guys will laugh at anything. Um, We're a sucker for a bad joke. Oh, I know. Yeah, uh -huh. we um, are. I, I ran across Patrick... Tucker's book, Secrets of Acting Shakespeare, worst title on the planet. But the <laughs> book itself was a recounting of an ex of a British theater troupe trying to figure out how Shakespeare's plays were actually staged in the kinds of spaces and with the kinds of rehearsal conditions that they used. And I thought that was interesting, and I thought there was a lot of stuff in it. So... I decided that I was going to do 
a production of As You Like It, because there were a lot of girls' parts. That was my reasoning. And I was going to stage it in the American West and set the Duke's Court in Texas, a la Dynasty, and stick the Forest of mm. Arden in the Rockies. Okay? Mm. So it, okay, okay. It, it, it sort of works. And uh, George W. Bush was Hyman. I put a guy on in the Hyman mask, and a George W. Bush mask for Hyman. Hmm. I was attempting to be I mean, <laughs> lame. I didn't know what else to do with Hyman in the American West. It's fine, but now I have a visual of Bush in a Hyman mask, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> don't even. We can do a lot of bad jokes that will not go into the podcast. We can all do that later where they'll meet me yep. the um, <laughs> So, at the same time, the people who were in that production, none of whom are in Will Kemp's players, but the people who were just preceded you, I have been talking about, I have been talking about Tucker, and I really wanted to do some Tucker kind of experiments, but a large portion of the cast was down for it, and a large portion was not. But one of the scenes that I could do that with um, was Dan Stott, who's down in Florida now, and <laughs> Matt Harvey, um, Katie, Katie Rodriguez, not Katie Rodriguez, uh, Brian Avery. I cut cue scripts the hard way, didn't know the easy way. And I handed them cue scripts, and it was mostly a scene between JQEs and Touchstone. And using a sh the original practices style of Shakespearean cue scripts, a pretty stupid and not particularly easy to understand scene jumped off the freaking page and into life in a in a rehearsal room. Actually, it wasn't <laughs> even a rehearsal room. We've been thrown out of yeah. the rehearsal room. We were outside in the yard. What was <laughs> your hard way? What was? I don't how even did you remember. I think I did it by. I think I. I I think I cut and pasted them, Shane. For, like literally, literally, physically cut and pasted, not not on uh -huh. stage. That's amazing. Cut and you know, before, yeah, before, yeah, cut and scotch taped, but sure. And but the I never. It was the most amazing moment. It was the most amazing moment because doing it sorta the way that Shakespeare's Company sorta did it. We sorta think. <laughs> And this thing got real, right in front of us. I mean, literally, we kept going for a while and we all had to stop because we were all shaking so hard. There was so much there. Um, cutting to the chase, um, I started talking about it all the time. I started talking about it in classes. I started talking about it incessantly with my friends and a colleague. Noticed that there was an, uh, there was an uh, US humanities seminar that I could apply for called Shakespeare's Playhouses Inside and Out that was going to be taught the following summer at the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, Virginia and at Shakespeare's Globe. As a community college teacher, I didn't think I had a snowball's chance of becoming part of the seminar, the NEH seminar. Well, I did. And I spent three plus weeks at the, Glow at, the, at the American Shakespeare Center and two weeks and change at the Globe. And I came back literally a different person. Um, I learned in five weeks enough stuff about original practices that I started to practice original practices, that and I had gone to the Globe and there had been a scene done with cue scripts there to just literally knock my socks off as well. It's that same Merchant of Venice scene that I teach every time I try to sure. do, do cue scripts. Ah, mm -hmm. there yep. we go, yep, the one we talked yep. about last and, week. And between the, the two experiences, I came back thinking that I could maybe start doing this with my own students, and I resolved that we would do a Shakespeare or one of his contemporaries, had that ever happened, every fourth semester so that any person who was a theater or drama major at Schenectady County Community College could do a Shakespeare. 
and could experience original practices. Moreover, I took students down to the American Shakespeare Center every spring to be a part of um, workshops during their Renaissance season when they use that Blackfriars Theater, which is a replica of a Shakespearean indoor theater, um, in the same way, as much as possible, um, like original practices. So it became um, it became sort of a ritual. We'd go to New York in the fall, and then we'd go to Shakespeare in the spring. Um, and I'm proud to say that the people at American Shakespeare, because I've obviously become a, a person they know and I think love and trust, would wait for me to bring my students because they enjoyed having an audience that would respond to them appropriately and easily. Um, so then I did a lot of Shakespeare. We did a pretty nifty Romeo and Juliet. We did All's Well That Ends Well. Uh, Rob was in that. Uh, Shane was in that. We, Phil was in Romeo and Juliet. Yep, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Oh, right. Phil, was that the story in that my you told? Shakespeareances? Yes. About your first Shakespeare? Yes, that was the story I told. Yes. Was, <laughs> yes. Oh, man. It was a story. I mean, it was a it was a story, a larger story of, of the lovely experience on the show. But then he also recounted a story of a dropped line that turned particularly harrowing for him. It was very funny. Rob was in the first one I did after I had done the seminar, and that was, I did Richard III mm -hmm. in its full length. Why? I'll never know, but we did. <laughs> oh, gosh. It was great for punishment. It, that was my first Shakespeare play ever. It was awesome. Richard III is really hard because it he's right at that spot when he's writing where he, I, I swear, doesn't cut anything because the stuff that really should be cut <laughs> is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, Rob. You had some of that. It was I just couldn't cut yep. it. It was too beautiful to to get rid of. Um, so we did the whole. Th we did. I can't believe we did the whole thing, <laughs> but we did. <laughs> um, and it, it was awesome. <laughs> It was worth it. Was, it. it was, and then you and then you grew older and it demystified a little bit and you were like, oh, we can cut all of this. Well, <laughs> not so much as that. I got older and my butt went to sleep sooner. <laughs> <laughs> it was a physical yeah, demand uh, uh, to, more to than a... <laughs> you know, my butt went to sleep before my mind did, so I finally had to <sighs> accede to physical True, reality yeah. and... Start cutting. <laughs> although I won't. I, Sometimes you just gotta listen to your butt. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's true. Although frankly, I probably keep in more than most people. And what's interesting now <laughs> yeah. that I'm working with mostly professional actors, even though they're a little long, people like the complexity by not just cutting to the plot line. I was just about to say that I so value, so value a company that doesn't cut a bunch of stuff. And like, even if we do make the choice, like, okay, we're gonna do a, uh, a shorter cut of, of this this year in this circumstance, that's not our, like, you know, that's not something that we've done yet, but it's, you know, maybe something we'll explore in the future, but that's not our consistent traditional practice. Like, that's not where we're coming from. I mean, we, we cut um, a lot of Hamlet yeah. last year. A lot yeah. of Hamlet. We did cut a lot and, of Hamlet. And yet but still. But we left a ton <laughs> in. And I guess the cut was good enough because I never saw a person leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, what, three hours and 15? They were yeah, three three hours, 15 and change, something like that. I tried to um, get Depending on, you know. Which friend? I tried so hard. <laughs> but it, but it, it just, it doesn't go. Yeah, well, honestly, I think the cut that we had, that we were working with, was, had enough density left in it that there was a lot of emotional connection there. So the mm. audience, there was enough, pro, like there was enough propelling of the plot that it was, it ticked along pretty well, but we still left space and um, allowed for those more resonant moments that I think sometimes the audience misses in a quicker production of Hamlet. Yeah. And I think that also influences the impact that the show can levy on an audience. Because if everything is just happening really quick and the plot just is, you know, going, 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 it almost, sometimes I feel like audiences almost don't have a chance to catch their breath and really digest and understand more fully what's going on. 
in the play because contemporary audiences are battling a lot. They're battling the fact that the language is a little bit new to them. The story may be a little bit new to them. Um, you know, they're they're you know, even even the brightest audiences are, you know, definitely going to see a Shakespeare show is a little bit different than just going to see a contemporary show. Um, so I know sometimes I think breath in the show itself can allow audiences to catch up in a way that mm. is really helpful for like the emotional duration and journey that they then follow through the production. And Sandra, as the director of that show, knew exactly what she wanted to sort of emotionally draw out of that text. So it, mm -hmm. made, it made cutting a lot of that material that much easier. Having such a clear idea of sort of how you want your characters to morph and arc over your rehearsal and throughout your show makes cutting that really, really good stuff a little bit easier because it it distracts from the story you're aiming at. Uh, and there's exactly. and there's a lot of there's a lot of distractions or not distractions. There are a lot of strings in Hamlet that you can pull at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and and Sandy really knew which strings she wanted to pull, and that made cutting that whole show so much easier. Yeah, I think in terms of just cutting contemporary Shakespeare, it's, it's, I mean, it's a lot to do with like orchestrating a piece of music. You know what I mean? Like there's definitely the raw source material um, that is, you know, good and absolutely inherently valuable in its own right. And then I think what a lot of people assume cutting a Shakespeare looks like is just being like, well, that's boring. Let's not say that. When really what <laughs> it is, is this very, very delicate, sensitive process of going in and making sure the verse matches up. Yeah. Like for starters, <laughs> like that's its own, that's its own thing. And then determining, okay, where, where you know, what is this content serving, et cetera. And like, you know, cutting is definitely something that you two have done a lot more than than I have. I've only like, you know, tried it out a couple of different times. Um, but it's like its own it's its own art form. You know it, what I mean? It's some of the most rewarding work I've I ever do in Shakespeare. Um, when I it, I just feel like it gets you so connected to what's happening. Like as a person who also enjoys directing, I don't know that I would ever be able to give up the cutting process. Um, or it would have to be extremely collaborative like it was with, with Sandra. Uh, we went back and forth uh, well over a dozen times, just like, hey, I like this cut. Why did we cut this? Can we think about adding this back in? What do we have to get rid of to do that? thou in my sight. Oh, but repetition of what thou hast marred. That will I make before I let thee go. A husband and a son thou owest to me. The sorrow that I have by right is yours, and all the pleasures you usurp are mine. The curse my noble father laid on thee when thou didst crown his warlike brows with paper, and with thy scorn drewst rivers from his eyes, and then to dry them gavest the duke a clout, steeped in the faultless blood of pretty Rutland. His curses then for bitterness of soul denounced against thee are all fallen upon thee, and God, not we, hath plagued thy bloody deed. York's dread curse prevailed so much with heaven that Henry's death, my lovely Edward's death, their kingdoms lost by woeful banishment, could all but answer for that peevish brat. And curses pierce the clouds and enter heaven. Why then give way, dull clouds, to my quick God, I pray him that none of you may live your natural age but by some unlooked accident cut off. Have done thy charm, thou hateful withered hag. And leave thee out. Stay, dog, for thou shalt hear me. 
if heaven have any grievous plague in store, exceeding those that I can wish upon thee, oh, let them keep it till thy sins be ripe, and then hurl down their indignation on thee, the troubler of the poor world's peace. The worm of conscience still benaw thy soul. Thy friends suspect for traitors whilst thou livest and take deep traitors. For thy dearest friends, no sleep close up that deadly eye of thine unless it be whilst some tormenting dream affrights thee with a hell of ugly devils. Thou elvish marked a boot of rooting hog, thou that was sealed in thy nativity, the slave of nature and the son of hell, the slander of thy mother's heavy womb, the loathed issue of thy father's lines, thou rag of honor, thou detested witcher! Margaret! Richard! Huh? (laughs) I call thee not. Then I cry thee mercy, for I had thought that thou hadst called me all these bitter names. Oh, why so I did, but looked for no reply. Oh, let me make the period to my curse. Thou Tis done by me and ends in Margaret. Okay, so to segue from our language conversation... Which has been lengthy. (laughs) Which has been lengthy. Um, Sandy, the other question that we have for you is dream roles. Why did you pick these two scenes specifically? Like, what, what, what about them really stands out to you? Let me dispense first with Margaret. Um, Margaret's just fun. Um, she's a wonderful exercise for an older female performer. She screams and howls and says bad things and and can and she doesn't really have any necessary physical difficulty or physical presence. She can she could be performed in a wheelchair if you wanted to. And and probably Margaret in a motorized wheelchair is a very funny and kind of terrifying <laughs> idea. Oh, I and love that. Like a very, like she's ready to fight and she's just like, I will come yeah, at in you. A, like in a motorized <laughs> wheelchair where she becomes a force of nature. I'm all about uplifting the power of people in wheelchairs. Mm. Like I'm all about yeah. that, yeah. So I really, and I, I think that given the right space and the right time, it's a role that I could actually do and would have, would just have too much fun doing. Now, Falstaff's another thing. In my lifetime, we have gone from a world in which women played basically the rather smaller inventory of roles that were written to be played, female characters that were written to be played as boys. But during my lifetime, it's become more and more, or it has become again fashionable, for women to play men. In fact, when I was looking, doing some research, some little bit of research for this episode, I realized that in the 19th century, there was one woman who did play Boston. But I genuinely love the role. And I genuinely want to give a shot at it, um, to be honest. And I have begun to look at many of Shakespeare's characters as not limited by gender or their expressions of sexuality on a primary level, certainly on a secondary or tertiary level, yes, 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 but not not entirely about genitalia or gendered or gendered roles. Um, Hal and Falstaff are close. They are. Uh, scapegrace great uncle and nephew close. It's a relationship we know. He is a coward. He gets away with small pieces of thievery. Like that same scapegrace great uncle that we know. And he loves life in a way that's breathtaking. 
Why wouldn't any performer want to do that? Why can't I just put a phony beard on and do it? I have a great big old voice that drops easily mm. into a lower register if we need that for verisimilitude. Yep. What's the difference? What is it that would make me or any other woman not fall stuff? So that's why. So has that always been a role you've wanted and only in this sort of 2020 time are starting to feel comfortable with the idea of being able to play that role? Or is that something that over time has evolved and that's now a role you kind of want to play? I think I've always loved the character, okay? I love that. I've always loved the character, which is separate from the role. Sure. Okay? And once I allowed myself to be liberated from the notion that a woman can only play roles that were written in the female gender, for, for gender female, and that's been slowly evolving since uh, since early in the 21st century for me. Um, and it's been the last, what, guys, 10 years, eight years, 10 years that I've really entertained the notion that I could play Falstaff if there were a company that would be willing to do the experiment with me because there's lots of stuff I'd have to learn and work on to make it work. I mean, I've never learned the fighting stuff that men would have to learn, for instance, and Falstaff has to be able to handle a sword. That sort of stuff. So I would be very much a beginner on some levels where I'm a, a very practiced actor on others. Given all those things, I want to do this <laughs> part. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny, if you were to ask me that question, I don't know, 10 years ago, I feel like my list would have, you know, I may have played it, but I, my list would have included Mercutio, Dogberry, Malvolio, um, you know, name a, name a clown, Caliban. I know he's not really a clown, but hmm. you know, those type of characters. And just, oh, you ask me now, I, I probably want to play Iago. I probably, want to play some of the heavier characters that are available that uh, I sort of looked over when I was just 10 years ago. Like, I didn't quite understand what some of these characters were trying to say. And going back and, and reading it in a new mindset, my whole dream role list has shifted. Absolutely. Well, it should. I mean, it's really funny for me because... As, you know, when I was a young actor and I was like cultivating all of my thoughts about what roles I would want to play in the future, I was still living and existing in like a very feminine space of my own self, um, which is not something that I wound up going with long term. <laughs> I decided that wasn't my vibe personally, um, but my dream roles didn't, I added new ones because now I was thinking, oh, I actually would not mind playing men. Um, because I'm interested in exploring, you know, non-feminine aspects of myself. Um, but then I, but I was still as interested in exploring characters like Ophelia, who are, you know, pretty particularly women in Shakespeare shows. And so it's, it's been a really kind of fascinating dichotomy that I touched on a little bit in the host's episode, but is, you know, also, you know, it's, I'm being reminded of it now is just that like, there are so many different life experiences that can shape our desires in terms of why we want to play what. Um, and and it's only sometimes really based on what we experience in our own lives and really has a lot more to do with like who the people are that we want to explore. I would give just about I anything. I would, I would give almost anything for the opportunity to have Sandra direct me as the nurse in Romeo and Juliet. Hell yes. Mm. There's Hell yes. A part of me that needs to do that in my life, and I am only getting more and more ready for it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and like and yeah, so that I mean that cuts cuts back to to what I'm talking about. Like it's it's about who the nurse is. It's not about the fact that the nurse is a woman and you just want to play a woman. It's no. about the exactly, it's about the draw of that character. 
and what she signifies to you and what you want to express as your as your actor self. And you to know? bring it way back in our conversation, the nurse doesn't exit. She doesn't mm -hmm. get an exit. Oh hey! Cold. Yeah, she just has to sit there. And depending on how you wanna play that, that could be really morbid. <laughs> You know, mm. the nurse, her mother figure, everyone leaves and you just have this somber moment of the nurse trying to digest what she has internalized as her daughter being dead. And just, oh, mm -hmm. the, the idea to get to emote <laughs> that on stage fills me with joy. And, and that's, I mean, we're bringing things very tightly back together because as you start really studying these roles and realizing from a theatrical, not necessarily from a literary standpoint, what's going on, you start to see the depth of human emotion. And you're no longer reading a text, you're experiencing life in a way that you, you, you get to experience it through someone else in a way that still allows a pretty uh, profound personal impact. Absolutely. It's not just it's not just watching someone else go through this. It's not just an empathy thing. It's a uh, it's a living, which is why we do this. Well, no. <laughs> uh, well, and I think to me, the theater in an original practice is space, and I mean that the performance space, the playhouse, the field, the whatever you name it is a door. The entire thing is a door. And the audience and the performers and the performance meet in this door, which is the performance. And we meet together to co-create an experience. Now we're all performers and we know that the audience influences what we do infinitely and that all performances are perforce different because all audiences are different. We're the same, but it's the audiences that bring in a different energy every time and makes us react in different ways and then we lead them to different spots. If we don't do that, if we let them simply sit there on their thumbs and be spectators, if we don't engage them by speaking directly to them, or in the case of, say, Richard III, keep recasting them as crowds, as noblemen, as churchgoers, as what have you, then they have an active place in the play, that they're part of what's going on. And whether we hand them um, um, spears to carry because we short people for the army, uh, <laughs> or whether, <laughs> whether we sit on their laps and, and, and speak sweet nothings in their ears uh, for the fun of it, as the way we do a particular scene or we make eye contact with someone special as you're grieving as the nurse. Well, yeah, now you made it all real. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the notion so that among us, we can have that, that amazing experience that neither of us own. And it's so interesting to think how with this pretty prescribed written word, there's so much improv to still happen. I think back to my Ren Fair days, and that's how <laughs> you engage people. You you cast them, you talk to them. If they don't have a personality, just give them one. <laughs> you know, you are the you are the bigger energy in the room. You have that power. I just got thinking about the one time you and I banged into each other at the Ren Fair, and I gave myself a personality and an accent. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. That's such a Sandy and Shane interaction to have, geez. Run into each other at the Ren Fair. Yeah, I'm a highwayman trying to pick her pocket and ugh, I you were you were very you did not let me get away with any sort of shit. <laughs> <laughs> You, you were like, no, you're not taking the easy improv steps. We're working today. <laughs> Did you expect me to do anything? Wouldn't you have been disappointed if I let you get I away with been. it? I would have been. Uh, I think an interesting story that I love 
to talk about and tell, and I think ties in really well to a lot of what we're doing, is that sort of uh, moment when you're reading Shakespeare out loud and you just get it. Um, I, I, I think everybody that we work with has that story, has that moment. And for you and I, it was uh, during All's Well That Ends Well? Oh, that, yes. Yes, uh, where I uh, didn't know what the heck I was doing. I just didn't. I had no idea. I almost quit that show. He hated me so much. Oh, I was so mad at you. And um, (laughs) who was... Who is Nick playing? The, the Paroles. 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 Thank you. So oh, we're sitting right. there. This yeah. was the show that Nick was the clown. Yeah. Well, he mm. now I remember. he was the clown. So Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, we're, so we're on stage and I'm standing there and doing nothing as the clown, which is never the right choice as the clown. And Sandy's just in the audience like, Shane, you have to do something. Just do something. So Parole starts... I think starts it was do anything. Parole-sing. And, <laughs> and I reach down and gently caress his sword from the back end of his sword. <laughs> and from the audience, Sandra just cackles in a way that I don't know that I could ever replicate. <laughs> and I look out in the audience and I was like, wait, I thought you were going to yell at me. That's the thing you want me to do? And she was like, yes, Shane, that is the funny thing. You're not going to get in trouble for that. You're on stage. And from that moment Uh, on, I refused to be on stage and not do something. I remember you taking up contact juggling for that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. I love a good, like, awakening story of just like, aha, I know this now, and I will continue to put it into practice. And and to be quite literal, it was (laughs) daylight after a... Uh, the darkness of the abyss. It was. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't say what I. It was holy, holy, holy. Your ep- expletive there. That's exactly yeah, what I, happened. I almost. Oh, I know that I song. Was inches away from not doing that show. That's so funny. And then where would you have been now? My goodness. Probably on a cruise ship, cooking food unhappily. Um, I would, <laughs> just in case you guys want to know, I would never have let him quit. I would have found a way to get him there somehow. Because, Excellent. because Excellent. there was too much raw talent there, even though he didn't know what to do with it, or where to put it, or how to guide it. Let me tell one quick, another story on you. Okay. Um... He had done enough Shakespeare with me that it was fine, and he was doing a scene for competition with a, a lovely young lady, and he was playing Richard III, and she was playing Lady Anne. It's actually one, two, it's a scene previous to this. Previous to the one we did, yeah. yeah. Oh, is that the, the scene with oh, the spitting? Yes. yes. Oh, that's my favorite one. I love that so um, much. And, Plantagenet. And, she was doing fine and he was just having a hard time. And he really was having a hard time. So I made him go back to something very basic and that was just speak the rhythm. And just speak the rhythm because it's, you know, Richard III is that period of Shakespeare where the rhythm is, it's almost religious and it's brilliant and it gives you what you need. And I made him do it a number of times, and he didn't like me, but that was pretty normal. <laughs> um, and then, I, what was it, the third or the fourth time through the scene, just doing it, all of a sudden, another voice came out of his mouth that wasn't James. His body, it was not. His body changed shape. He carried one shoulder higher than the other. I don't know if you remember that or not, but you did. And all of a sudden, Richard was birthed, fully formed, in the middle of a banquet hall at Schenectady County Community College, and there was a Richard that I just, (laughs) I kept the scene going, because how do you not keep that newly fledged character going? It was just 
amazing. And it was the sound of the words and the rhythm of the line. That's all that did it. Mm, and it changed his body. That it was. I was memorized at that point. I, I was comfortable with the words I was saying. And at, if the first story I told was the moment I found prose, that was the moment I found verse. I wish... I, I wish other people could have seen it. It was the most, with original practices Shakespeare, I've seen such miraculous transformations of people's understandings that happen in moments. People, when I, people who said they hated Shakespeare and then I took them to the American Shakespeare Center and that was over. Uh, who, who went in, <laughs> yeah. in 20, sec, 20 minutes from leaning back and wanting to have a beer to leaning forward and hanging on every line. And actually having a beer because the American Shakespeare definitely serves alcohol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is, speaking of dream roles, I had a really interesting experience just like hanging out at my best friend's house one time before when we could hang out at people's houses um and uh and we were she had a couple of people over and we were just talking about art and theater you know i was they were doing the typical like what do you do i was saying oh i you know i'm a performer and then that you know invites the spiel because they're like what's that mean and then there we are um so i'm talking about shakespeare with this person and you know, she was saying, oh, I just really could never get into it. Like, I'm such a fan of poetry, but it was just really hard and inaccessible for me. And I was like, okay, I think I, like, I kind of had gotten a sense of who she was. And I was like, hang on. And I just grabbed the complete works that my friend had off her shelf. Oh. And I flipped it open to the Amelia monologue Oof. in the Desdemona Amelia scene, which was a monologue that I had worked and worked and worked on in conservatory in multiple different occasions, both in the scene and outside the scene. It was just like, it kept getting assigned to me and I was like, okay, I guess this is like my masterwork so for like these four really years. So you started really light, you know, you didn't get into that. <laughs> yeah, I started stuff. really light. Well, because, you know, it was one of those, I was like, this is really what's gonna hit her because, you know, we, we'd also been talking about like, you know, feminism and, you know, dramatic arts and like representations of women in literature. So like, I was like, okay, this is like, she's, she, this, this speech that Amelia gives about, is it really different the ma the ways in which men and women supposedly misbehave? Um, like, I was like, I feel like that is gonna, <laughs> I literally calculated it in my brain. I was like, what piece of text can I give her right now that, that is gonna make her get it? And I was like, I feel like that's gonna be the one. So I just pulled it out, read it off the page and showed it to her and she was like, holy shit. Like literally her face changed. And it was one of the coolest things that I have ever like been a part of achieving was seeing someone actually understand how Shakespeare needs to be taught and experienced and understood and and make sense of it in a way that they never had been able to before. And like that wasn't necessarily an aha moment for me in terms of my acting, but it was an aha moment for me in terms of performance and what it can do even if it's just sitting around in a friend's living room, trying to help someone understand why you love Shakespeare so much. And so that night she said, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna read Othello and I'm gonna read it out loud to myself and I'm gonna see if I get it. And I was like, great, great, great job. So like I, I, you know, experiencing that kind of thing, it just is that much of a signifier on, on why that stuff is so important. And the way that, that, you know, application of like, this is how this, you know, this needs to be looked at can really just awaken things in a person. I think the thing with dream roles is that's really interesting is that as long as it's a good role and it's not a flat role, it's interesting how mm. the role that you think is your dream may not be. And the role that someone else sees as your dream role may indeed be. And that sometimes you're cast in a role that opens up more inside of you. Um, I'm gonna yeah. push on Rob for this one. I don't think uh -oh. <laughs> you ever wanted to play either Breckenberry or the, in Richard III or the Duke in All's Well. Neither of those roles. They're not my personal favorites, but, but I did enjoy them. But Breckenberry, I thought, did wonders for you because he it's so economically written and so dense. Oh yeah, it's it's a fantabulous tight little piece that has so much commentary and so much just artful uh, poetry to it. Wish it, could was, see his face it was it was wonderful. 
because <laughs> it, yeah. the way you're expressing yourself, you would, I mean, you didn't want to do that role, but doing it, you got so much out of it. Oh yeah, it was, it, 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 it allowed me to uncover and understand so much. While it might not be the role I wanted at the time, much like the Duke, I'm sure you saw that I was trying to gun for paroles, which was way too big of a role for me to try and bite off uh, in the, <laughs> when I, when I uh, auditioned. But you but didn't the Duke, know that when you auditioned. You know, you, uh, I, yeah, exactly. you had like, you had that role, you had that moment, you had that desire and that's, that's why you got cast. That's why you are sure. part of yeah. Sandy's squad, you know? <laughs> Funny enough, now, yeah, my my ideal role is completely different. It's yeah. it's very simple. It's the porter <gasps> in Macbeth. Oh, oh, you'd be such a good porter. Oh my God. That's it. Y'all, he did the porter monologue for our for our uh, Shakespeareans episode. It was delicious. That's why I, did it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I did. Uh, well, I did Amelia for that one because I was like, okay, if I'm gonna do a monologue that I really treasure, I guess I gotta whip this one out again. Like, it's just, and I mean, it's really funny too. I mean, like, obviously, you know, Puck is definitely like a sizable role, but mm. like, I never really, up until the the moment was like presented to me when Rags texted me when I wasn't a member of the company yet. And he was like, if we did Midsummer, what would you potentially be interested in? And I just kind of had this, do I say puck? Like little <laughs> voice inside me that yes, like had that never really speaking. emerged before. Exactly, it was puck speaking. And I was like, screw it, I'm gonna say puck. And I mean, like I threw like, I would do, I would do Hermia and Helena. Cause the thing is, you know, it's like, you connect to certain pieces of language that become really sentimentally precious to you. Like, for example, I skated, I, I played roller derby when I lived in Connecticut for two years, and my roller derby name was Minnie B. Fierce, which is <laughs> derived from sure. though she be but little, she is fierce. So I was like, oh, if I ever do Midsummer, like, I'm going to play Hermia. And, like, that's just mm. kind of like what I assumed. I was like, I'll do it, it'll be fun. I'm an ugly um, as a you know. Yeah, exactly. And so then, More and then like rolls. this, this context, this context arrived and I was like, I mean, I could do Hermia, but like, I feel like I really actually have a shot at maybe doing Puck. And and I, I think it was just that my brain had never allowed me to ex explore a context in which that would be the appropriate yep. role for me. Mm. And then it was there. And I was like, oh, I think this is really supposed to happen. Yeah. And then it happened and it literally just reinvigorated everything about performance that I had forgotten that I loved so much. I mean, I have always been a physical actor and you know, I definitely was a, a, in the early stages of being a physical actor in conservatory and not yet enough in that point where I was able to identify that I was a physical actor, but I knew that I had really liked movement class and I knew that I had taken modern dance for like 13 years. So I was at the very least an actor who was connected to my body. And I think I was always too afraid to envision myself in a physically explorative role, but it was always something like pinned in the back of my head, like maybe I could do that. And it wasn't, and like it took, it took getting to a point in my life when I had the self-confidence to allow myself to actually say, you have the skills to do that this is the right choice to make like this is going to this is going to be something that you can really be proud of as a performer uh, and so I, I i enjoy that i didn't really discover puck as a dream role until it was literally about to happen so i didn't have mm. to chase it very hard because <laughs> <laughs> um, it mean, wound up being just like such a blessing yeah i have uh sort of two two things to to say and add one being yes. that i love Puck. I think he's a fantastic role. I don't think I'm ready to play Puck. Uh, <laughs> and when we, uh, when I got to come up to New York and work with you on your Puck, and when we sort of found those moments of physical magic, that was some yeah. of the, that's like, that is the reason I, I do Shakespeare and work on Shakespeare with Aww, people. That was. It. That was some of my most fun stuff that I got to do during that process. Yeah, that was just a really great, yeah. Uh, and then the second thing is, it's a, what is Phil's f dream role? What, if Phil could choose any role to play Tell in us, the Shakespeare Phil. canon, Tell us. what is it? Honestly, it would probably be Helena. Mm. And I don't 
know why. <laughs> I just find something very fascinating and interesting and hysterical about her. Hmm. And I, I, I don't know. It just, it, it fascinates me. Phil, I really enjoy that. I, <laughs> call you me fair. Um, <laughs> I just like you say it and um, I see it immediately. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I mean, I really haven't explored Shakespeare as much as you guys have. I mean, other than being in camps, this is my first time really exploring things. But you know what you can and do really I'm well. And I'm in the camp. Well, yes. And I, I, I mean, I'm in the camp that Sandy was describing earlier is I have dream roles that I will never play. Mm. <laughs> and most of my dream roles end up being given to me that end up really changing me. Like, both um... Peter Quince. Oh, you were so good as Peter Quince. And next year, Jake Wees. It's really interesting to have those. I mean, I, I chose to play <laughs> Jake Wees, but like <laughs> having that role <laughs> um, given to me, it's really interesting to see how much of myself I see in the characters that I play or am given. And it's just, yeah. it's Well, you know what's funny, Phil, is that you say you don't know why, Helena. But like you know how you talk about how you kind of speak in <laughs> But a part Yeah, of like does like somewhere. I'm like you know how you just... talk before about how you speak in prose? Mm. Aspects of you also speak in oh, Helenaverse. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like it's very real. Like as much as you want to be a prosy boy, <laughs> you are a prosy boy, but you're also a Helenaverse boy. Oh, and like no. that's just the way it the way it is. Like so, so embrace that embrace that part of yourself. Embrace that I cry verse so hard and then the last couplet doesn't rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I just get down so far and then it's just like, go, go, go. <laughs> he tried. No, oh, what are you talking God. about? Those couplets totally work if you just like slant the rhyme a little. Just slant like the rhyme it. at a 50 degree angle. <laughs> I think that, oh, uh, goodness. I think that might be your Sandy, Phil, because that's what I was. I was a prosy boys for a long time. And then one day someone was like, hey, Verse, poke it a little harder than you think you need to. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh man. I sit comfortably I in my prose I get it. currently. I get it. <laughs> Got that prose pose. <laughs> but I'm not against trying verse. It's just it just takes me a while. I love the way we talk about this. I'm really comfortable in prose. I, See, I mean, Sandy's already I like, teaching me right now. I'm, I mean, I guess I'm not ready to try verse, but like maybe <laughs> one day. Like, <laughs> I love that we treat this with such gravitas. Like it's an extremely like powerful commitment. Like, all right, it's time for me to explore verse. Like, I tried prose once. Once. <laughs> yeah, I tried. <laughs> once. I tried prose once. Never again. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's true. It's because I speak with my head. I don't speak with my heart, and that's that's the thing. It's just yeah, me logically absolutely. in a personal outside of theater thing. I just I very logically driven, but that's just me. I don't want to be a dagam spoil sport, but we are uh, running short on time at this point. Um, so I'm gonna take a quick quip around everyone for their farewells. I'm going to start with our good friend Shane Sespenkowski. Please give us a last thought, a last word, plug anything you'd like to plug. Uh, thank you for allowing me on this podcast uh, as many times as you have. Um, I look forward to coming back again and, you know, maybe one time we get to talk about our non-Shakespeare dream roles and I get <gasps> yes! to tell you how I'd love to be the plant in a little shop of horrors. <gasps> I think you just did. Only if I can play Seymour, <laughs> please. Yes. Please. I could be a dentist. Uh, so, uh, thank you for having me and um, thank you for the conversation. I feel better now than I did a few hours ago when we started. Wonderful. It's always great to have you on here. Have a great night. Uh, Sandy. I know that we've had a long and winding conversation. Do you have any final thoughts, any plugs, any any farewells well, for us? I, I want to thank you all for having me on so many times on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I want to thank the listeners for putting up with me going on a bit. And I want to encourage everybody to wait out the current pandemic situation and when it's safe. We'll come back to the theater 
and we hope to see you there so that we can get together on the business of co-creating the performance experience. Good night. Good night to you too. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Phil, thank you for hosting this entire season. It's been a hell of a season. Do you have any final farewells, any thank yous, any plugs? Um, I just I just want to thank both you and Shay very much um, for helping me create this. Um, it's really, it means a lot to me that we were able to do something that everyone in the company enjoys. <laughs> um, it's I, a rare day. <laughs> that's a rare day. And we didn't have to vote on it. Um, I know, right? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so... The other thing I want to say is stay tuned for season two, because season two is going to have some um, pretty exciting things. We've got some ideas and hopefully there will be some um, broadcasts on location. What? <gasps> Spoiler. What? Video episodes, maybe? What? Maybe. Maybe. Oh, maybe. 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 Um, until then, until we um, grace you with our presence, listeners, again. Keep reading, stay inside, stay with your family, play board games, <laughs> communicate, have fun. Well, thank you for an entire season of hosting. You've done good, hard work and made good art. I look forward to making more with you. Uh, before I toss it over to Shay for our farewell, I would like to also thank uh, Shane and Sandy, who are guests today and also did uh, the dramatic reading of Richard III, and then Mike Sincora, uh, and Sandy, who did our uh, Henry V Part 1 reading at the beginning of the episode. And obviously my hosts, Phil, and, my host friends, Phil and Shay, without which none of this would be possible. Much love to you all. Shay, do you have any final thoughts before leading us out into this good night? For sure. Um, Y'all have been great this whole season, and I'm so grateful to have a community of people with whom I can share these conversations and that we're putting them out into the world and in what is hopefully, you know, something that is rewarding uh, for the audience who we love and miss so dearly. Um, so yeah, just stay with us and uh, we'll, we'll see you all when this is over. Um, like Phil said, new season, hopefully coming, coming down the pike soon. Stay posted um, on our social media for when our new season is gonna premiere. In the meantime, you can also visit our website at wilkempsplayers.com. Shoot us an email at weeklybardcast at gmail.com, especially if you have any suggestions for things you'd like us to cover in season two. Or you can give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at wilkempsplayers. We will be back before you know it. For this season, there is a providence in the fall of a sparrow. <laughs>